Hey, it's Matt Herman. Thank you for joining us. It's better with you here. Today we celebrate the life of a man who defined his own by two periods, before hair and after hair. To the outside world, he was a beloved fixture at the world-renowned La Mama Experimental Theater Club in New York. But to the hair universe, he was simply known as Michael David Arian. Today on Hair, the American Tribal Love Rock Podcast. Welcome, everybody, to the American Tribal Love Rock podcast. We have a very, very special guest with us today. It's best known by the wonderful quote, know who you are trying to reach, and on your way to reaching them, if you can't be kind, be relatable. This individual started the journey with hair through the international scene and then came back and is here to talk to us today, and I'm very excited about it. Please welcome to the podcast, Michael Arian. Hi, Michael. How are you doing today? All right. Thank you for asking me and hello, everybody. <laughs> you are often known as stating that life existed before hair and after hair, but it was a very pivotal moment. How did you get involved with the cast? I came to New York in 1967, having won a scholarship to the American Academy of Dramatic Arts. And one of the first things that happened, I didn't do my second year because they frankly didn't like me. I was a, a baby hippie, and it, this was not an established subgenre of, of freaks. Uh, they just had left the beatnik phase, and hair was starting to grow, so that was imminent. Um, and one of the first shows I, I got to see, because I joined up and, and worked at La Mama, one of the first shows I went to see was hair, uh, recommended highly. I bought a standing room and I, probably two bucks or a dollar. I don't even remember. And um, the theater was definitely before hair and after hair. And I grew to understand that so was my life. And it made a very big difference. I would never have called myself a hippie. Now I can look back on it and say, absolutely. But I was just finding my way in the world. And I was very young as was all of this off-off-Broadway, off-Broadway, hair, hippies, all of this. It was the first real rock and roll musical. So um, it was setting standards that would be fairly difficult to even pin down, let alone equal. It's a really of a snapshot of the world at the time. As you said, like the beatniks were, it was moving over and there was, there was unrest and there was the war and, but seeing it and with the standing room only, was there a sense of, I mean, seeing it first, were you feeling like I have to be involved with this or this is mine or these are, these are, these are my people, this is my tribe? It took me a couple of visits because it was just so glaring and so it was jaw-dropping to come into the theater and work your way to your seat, having to walk by these hippies dressed all elaborate and bells ringing and with flowers in their hand. And this was just, oh my God, it's like there's a greeter at the door and flowers. Um, it, it was a whole thing. It took me maybe two or three visits to really grasp what I was seeing. 
because I was so involved with, um, I was staying out of the draft at that moment in my life. I was coming out of, uh, not that I'd really been in a closet, but I was coming out of one. I was learning about life in New York. I was 20 years old. So everything hit me at once. And I'm glad to say I survived it and made the best out of it I possibly could. As you said that you were working uh, working and being involved with La Mama, you know, Tom O'Hergan had, was one of the most prolific directors. It was also the director of hair, but it was that style and moving and representation. And a lot of people had, you know, a lot of the, the regular culture or the straight culture didn't understand the counterculture. So it really, the show really provided a, a an understanding and acceptance of all and to, to be able to see that. So you're sort first... of, sort of, sort of, <laughs> it was, it, it had more impact on the theater community mm-hmm. because that didn't translate to the stage and an audience grasping what they were doing. They knew they were seeing things never before seen, but they didn't know where that info would land in their their consciousness. So this was just sparkling new. So did you go to an open call? Did you make friends? How did you how did you get in how did you get cast? Um well I didn't get cast. I went to I think 13 auditions over a couple of years time. There was a group of people that had to okay you. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jim and Jerry and Galt and Tom and the choreographer and the casting director. And through all of my auditions, one or more of those people were not there. And then there was Earl, the astrologist, who, if you didn't fit in his reading, you weren't going to happen. And I don't know where that, how that uh, worked on me. But I did get to know Earl. I I mean, I didn't bribe him or anything, but he liked me and I liked him. So I think I passed that that portion of the the thing. Um, I, I, 13 auditions never happened. Um, I was doing a show out of La Mama and it was another groundbreaking piece of theater. And this was in 68 or nine when the backpacking experience was just beginning with Freddie Laker and cheap tickets, um, Icelandic airway, when cheap tickets to Europe and backpacking was just starting the huge popularity it achieved. And the, some of the people from Hair came to see the show we were doing at La Mama and they proposed even with blueprints that they rebuild a jumbo jet with a you, nobody knows any of this hardly uh, rebuild the jumbo jet with a theater in it and we would do our show maybe over and over or maybe just once to entertain the audience because i think the jumbo jet seated like 400 people Mm-hmm. hundreds of people I, I know that for sure and it, we worked it worked it because the show was fantastic and um, we had all elected um, a spokesperson 
who took it upon themselves to go to, and it was uh, Fred Reinglass and Tom and Michael and Bertrand Castelli, mm -hmm. who was the big voice behind, I think, every production in Europe. Mm -hmm. And um, they they tried to they tried to wheedle our way into a bigger payoff, and they didn't see the sense in it, so it was rejected. So I got to, I'm going to say no, um, Bertrand, but I, I, I wasn't going to know him. I mean, he was a whole other class of person. Mm -hmm. Like you'd see him in Monte Carlo, right? Um, but I did talk with him, and I had just at that moment decided to go to Europe to join my friends on the La Mama tour. And I told him that, and how could I audition for hair? And he wrote me a really beautiful letter uh, for the casting agent in Vienna, Kara, no, no, I can't think of her name, uh, to, to give to her. And he said, and this will put you in the show because it said, call me, blah, 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 blah. So I went from Amsterdam a few days to Austria, not realizing that was like a two-day trip on the train. <laughs> and I was like frazzled. But I got to the theater. I got to meet the cast. I got to see Donna Summer perform in the show three nights in a row. And boy, did she sing the living hell out of Aquarius. Mm -hmm. And the casting agent was in Morocco and did not reappear while I was there. I went and joined my friends in Italy. I joined the tour because an actor dropped out. So I was put into the show. We did a couple of performances and went back to Amsterdam to help start La Mama Amsterdam. And in the middle of this, Fred Reinglass, who was, I think, at least stage manager, if not production stage manager of the Broadway, got in touch with me. And I think it was like weird that he found me and said, do you, would you come to, at first it was Zurich, to join the English German speaking production. And before I could get a ticket, he said, no, we're going to send you to blah, blah city, Duisburg, a, a real tiny industrial, really unpretty town. And uh, I went right in the show. The first night I got there, I went to directly to the theater with a friend and they said, well, go sit in the audience and enjoy the show. I said, no, I want to be up there. And I got up on the stage with them immediately. And when the girl, Rosemary something, uh, when she began Aquarius, she sang it first in German, and then she handed me the microphone. <laughs> and I had no idea what to do. I wasn't sure I even knew the words. I sang the next verse in English, handed the mic back, and she sang a verse in French and a verse in Italian or something. But it was like, welcome to the international land here. It was great. I never learned most of the show in German. I learned a lot of it. But the, the musical director said, it doesn't matter because I had a good loud voice and you could hear the harmonies at least, if not the right words. 
<laughs> what a story how was the reception overseas about it was half of it like let's go and let's go and see this or because hair talks about you know peace and love and togetherness and unity and all of that how how was it respected by the audiences was it a was it looked as like oh this is what's coming from america or it was kind of like the experience it was in new york not as um I can't think of the right words, not as well trained in terms of the theater, mm -hmm. but wanting entertainment. So going to the theater in much of Europe is a different deal. And when we were in Spain, we went to many cities that were fabled university towns, medical schools and such, and, and army-based towns and such. And we would, I would always go searching for Americans sitting in the plaza having coffee. And I've dragged us in a lot of audience because I just wanted to. Mm -hmm. And so in, in Germany, it was different because we only had that little town to perform in and it was never, it was a 2000 seat house. And if we ever got over 200 and on the night, mm -hmm. it would have blown my mind. But then we went to Hamburg with a 3,000 seat house and I didn't play there long, but we jammed into the rafters there. Uh, then in Spain, I'm not sure how to answer that because this was at a, a time of great upheaval. Mm -hmm. Franco was still being spoken of on Saturday Night Live as Francisco Franco is still dead it was a running joke for years. And, and you sort of were kept from the news while there in Spain. And we played, we played some of the weirdest places. We mostly played on, on, on the road, two and 300 year old opera houses with balconies that were fenced off and not to be walked in because they were probably death traps. But we never had a lot of houses outside of Madrid or Barcelona, but we had some uh, large houses elsewhere. The, the Americans, of course, were thrilled because they got to see something that they could relate to on that level. Mm -hmm. But the audiences seemed to be pretty good, worthy of, of our sweat. But also in Spain, we were hooked into a contract to kill. We, we had to do 10 shows a week. Oh, my Lord. And it, and it, was, it was just murder. And, and I was in my mid-30s. And I kept telling myself, because I was there just a week short of a year, and, and it was a lot of work. I kept telling myself, just put on your shoes. Just get into the wig. Just do this. Because later in your life, when you remember this, it will have been fabulous. And now I get to reap those benefits because it was fabulous. It's a very grueling schedule of, of you know, once the show starts, it starts, it, it goes. Two and a half, three hours of solid dancing. But now the, the terms of, a, of um, Musical theater in, in Europe have changed dramatically. Berlin or Hamburg is a major theater destination worldwide. Mm -hmm. 
they have world premiered many shows that have come to Broadway and blah, blah, blah. And so they have altered their, um, although I don't want to call German sophistication, they have altered theirs enormously to support all the theater they do. And it's like, I think the number three destination in the world. So all of everything has changed. There wasn't that much touring Europe, but it's true. We, because what do you got to do 20, 18 hours of the day, but get ready for a show. Mm-hmm. So we would spend three hours in the tub and we would do each other's nails and, and just sit around having tea and getting high and such. So yeah, we were a pretty together group, although there were, um, people that were injured mentally and emotionally mm-hmm. because they weren't good enough to stay with the show or they just took too much acid to perform and they couldn't get out of it. But there were people falling by the wayside all over all these countries where we had returned. In Germany, there, there were three companies going at all times and they rotated all over the German speaking countries. In Spain, we were it. Or, or there, was, um, there was a production of Superstar starring the equivalent of Ricky Martin. He was the young, good looking rock and roll person of the Spanish speaking world until they saw Superstar. Because he, he did not know how to do it. Mm-hmm. He was intimidated by every minute of it. And because we were so successful and he and his company had come to see us and he knew when we were there, he just blew it. And it, and it put a clamp on the show because it just went right over a cliff. Mm. And, and it was stinky. It didn't deserve better than what it got. Do you remember, um, as you were saying, getting getting ready and and all the the pre-show? Did you have a pre-show ritual? I know a lot of they talk about in the show. They talk about meditation and and relaxation and other techniques. And I have seen a script that they said it was from the from the Broadway production where they they gave a list of exercises to do before the show. And what was your what was your pre-show ritual? Um, I'm the only one who ever did one, and all I did was physical warm up, um, loosen up, um, get my mind in place. I mean, it wasn't like ohm or anything like that. It would just get my body ready for this. Um, When I joined them in Germany, I told them the first day we met that I would like them to learn the impetus for much of hair. Because a lot of their movement, a lot of the choreography and staging came from Tom's theater games, mm-hmm. like the trust game uh, where you'd fall and they'd catch you. Cause there was a big moment in the show where that happened. And um, I tried to get them to do it and they could not be serious for two minutes. So that just evaporated. And I didn't try anymore. Spain, I knew better than to try. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I've always been uh, in shows. I've always come a couple of hours earlier to warm up. And um, I did everywhere in Spain. 
Do you remember? Do you remember what your costume was? In in Germany, I wore blue jeans and a dashiki, and I kept the dashiki. I still had it till I left San Francisco in 1999, and that was 30 years later. I kept that dashiki from Germany. In Spain, I wore white coveralls and one of those Mickey Mouse t-shirts and always some kind of big flamboyant belt, something with uh, tight and knot and stuff dangled from it. And um, it was either that or I played the tourist lady and I had my drag to go through because I played her for nearly the whole year that I was there. How was the audience? Were you ever worried? In Germany, uh, we had a peculiar following uh, that we didn't even know about until one night, some of us were told, we're coming to pick up the cast tomorrow night and take them to Essen, which was like 20 minutes ride away from Duisburg for a party. So we didn't think anything of it. And then the night of that has to happen, The show came down and as we went through the door to go to wherever we were gonna go, there was a fleet, literally, of Mercedes taxis and they all but strong-armed us into them. And they got like 25 of us and drove us, whether you wanted to go or not, drove us to this town. And it turns out these were all very wealthy people who had opened a travel agency. And this this was gonna give them some cachet, at least so they thought, but they weren't very nice people. At that, on that night, I was learning some of the, I was to replace the comic relief in the show, learn his lines in German and become that character. Well, I had a lot of difficulty learning German. So that night, while at this party, which was incredibly lavish, I mean, really, really put on the hog for us, one of the owners, one of the party givers came to me, and I know she didn't know, think she was condescending, but drinking one hand and cigarette in the other, she said, darling, I think it's just charming the way you Americans try to speak German. And she was really heavy handed about it. And I didn't speak to anybody else but her. I mean, these people, for all the effort they went to get us there, kept apart from us religiously. Oh my. (laughs) And, you know, I would go out as part of hair and just love to meet people. I'd go anywhere, do anything to meet people. And in Germany, we went to Hamburg. Um, we would have to go through the famous red light district, the Raperbahn, mm-hmm. that closes and locks its gates at something early for a bunch of prostitutes. It was early. And if we made it out of the theater, we could shortcut through this area to get to the disco. If we were late, we had to go way around the block. But we got to be friendly with a lot of the women because we'd come through in beads and bangles and feathers and crap and they absolutely loved us we got them free tickets they used to jokingly say that they could give us um, comps (laughs) (laughs) but that never came to be 
But in Germany, this is what I wanted to say. We would go to, there was a, a street of discotheques. Whenever we'd enter any of them, they would put, you know who Melanie, Melanie was? Mm -hmm. They would put on her version of Candles in the Rain and it would blare. And then in German, they'd announce, here comes the cast of air. Everybody say hello. And we all had groupies. I had boys groupies, girl groupies. They were throwing uh, hashish at me. It, it was kind of fabulous, I must say. What was your favorite part? I know that you said uh, you talked about seeing what a piece of work is, man, and and playing the the tourist lady. And was there a part of the show that you really enjoyed? And was there something that uh, was there a part that you're like, eh, you know, that was a fun one? Or I loved the Aquarius Circle because if you did it correctly and put your heart into the moment it really aligned you to what was gonna happen. Because it was, it was a centering, it was a circle, it was a beautiful song. We, we linked hands over each other. It was a great and beautiful moment to me. It set the tempo, well, not the tempo, because everything was faster than Aquarius. It set a mood for the whole evening. That and what a piece. And in Spain, what a piece was interesting because while we were moving from town to town, they were improvising where we would start singing that song. So we had an actual tower. Um, what do you call the, that construction? The scaffolding? The scaffolding that they would hook together and this and that. And usually they had some kind of a platform. <laughs> Well, one place in Spain, they didn't have a platform. They just had a two by four. And the girl who I sang it with was this teen Nightsy, lovely, lovely black girl, who I can't imagine that we worked together, but we did. I'm I was loud, but she, we made it work. I'm climbing up. It's, you had to get in place while they were doing um, uh, Ripped Open by Metal Explosion. Mm -hmm the the beginning of the bad trip and i had to climb up through the back to sit on that board with her and as i'm climbing she's like no no don't sit here don't sit here because she was already making the board uh, mm -hmm. sway uh, so i had to try and hold on with one hand and sing with the other if you will but that was always fun because for months and months of that tour we had uh, we had no idea where we were going to play. Sometimes we'd just come into town and go right to the theater. Sometimes it would be a discotheque under construction. And we played many a show with plastic tape to the walls. So uh, we had we had our, our fill. And I found that exciting. It is. Everybody else bitched and moaned. Now, what were some of the messages and the tones and some of the themes that were used in the show that really resonated with you? What a bunch of hell raises Americans were. <laughs> it did, from my vantage point and my observation, I don't think they took much of the um, um, emotional life of the show to heart. I think they just took what they saw to heart because mm -hmm. we would come through the audience and they could actually touch us. 
So that made a difference in how they accepted what we did. But geez, I've never thought of that. I, I never got anybody coming backstage moved to tears saying, oh, we must stop the war. Uh, no, nothing like that ever happened. So I can't, I can't even validate the question, quite frankly. But no, I mean, that makes, that makes sense. What do you think, for, for new audiences discovering it, what, how would you describe it to them? Or what hope or message do you, do you hope that they would learn from it? Well, I've tried to describe it to people that don't go to the theater, people that do but don't know the show. It kind of doesn't work. And the productions I've seen in the world, uh, the ones that have stuck to the original everything are the ones that work. Uh, Cause I've seen a couple of world premieres of New Direction and they weren't happening. And even in, back in the day when I was living in Europe after Germany, uh, cause that was, that was three years. Um, I saw, I saw one of two performances in Rome. I saw the, met the cast in Paris, met the few sad political dissidents that did the show in Yugoslavia who weren't allowed anything political out of the dialogue. They just sang some of the pretty songs. And because I was in Yugoslavia with the theater festival with La Mama, mm -hmm. they granted me permission to go meet these people. And they were, they would have eaten me. They were so hungry to know what they were doing and what they had not been allowed to say. Um, so that was a, that was a very difficult thing because they warned me be careful. Mm -hmm. And at least the translator wasn't a big stick up her butt. And, and it was, I got some information fed to them and they were all but crying because they knew they would never know what this was. I have seen a few productions in America in the past 20 years. I, I don't know, but I think the cast people have gotten the same thing we got out of it, except the times have so changed that that, that thing that made everything before hair and after hair, that's not a hurdle any longer. Mm -hmm. It's all after hair. So they don't know what they were missing by not having that under their belt. I have also come to a couple of to Toronto, for instance, to a, a, a premiere of the show uh, with people I knew from the Mama directing. And um, I stayed away from talking about it to them because I wanted to see the same thing I'd always seen. And he was a very inventive guy. And my God, did he destroy that show. Uh, and the audience when I went was just full of people who had done hair in other cities on other continents. We were at least a third, if not a half of the audience. And more disappointment I have never seen. Mm -hmm. So um, it depends what you're lucky enough to view. 
uh, I'm and I'm a, I guess a traditionalist or a stick in the mud or something. It doesn't work for me if it isn't what I first saw. Like, could you imagine chorus line being done any other way than it is? No. I mean, it only makes sense. Chorus line isn't fair because it it is that piece. Hair, there's no, there's just no room for change in hair. Is there any organizations that you would like to promote? Is there anything that you would like to bring awareness of as, as hair brought awareness to organizations and issues? Is there something that... Well, La Mama, mm -hmm. because they're still here, they've ad adjusted and adapted to the world without live theater. They have begun a whole new um, split screen, whatever you want to call it, a whole new techno version of themselves. So that and that's in place. They're they're slowly getting audiences back, but they're also revamping the the original building. It's like a multi-million dollar redo, and the, and it was shut down, and they had only just sort of started it. They had gutted the entire building. Oh wow! And then COVID, so that had to sit for this whole year. Uh, but. Donate to La Mama, because uh, they are worthy. Plus, if you're ever in New York, a more interesting theater you could not want to go to because that archive has grown into the archive that ate Cleveland. I mean, it's massive. And it even I go in there and spend three hours because I'm familiar with almost everything in there. Yet I just eat it up seeing it again. It's wonderful. Well, fantastic. I will put the links in the show notes so that people can go and find more information in oh, that. Great. And I know that I know that we had when we had we had spoken briefly earlier and you never were in the protest of having the sign. But if you did have a message to put out to to scream to the rafters and everything as a as a sign of what you believe in and affirmation, anything, what would your what would your sign be? Make me not war. <laughs> fantastic fantastic michael arian thank you so much for your time and all your contributions to the art as i said at the beginning know who you were trying to reach and on your way to reaching them if you can't be kind be relatable and this this time that we've spent together you have lived up to that every uh, single word i have an even better quote what if you can't say something nice about someone sit by me <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you so well, much. Thank you for what you've done. And let me add a thanks to everyone who had anything to do with hair starting in the first place. Mm -hmm. So thank you. I'd be glad to help you with anything anytime. So good luck. Tell everybody I love them. And um, we'll speak another time. Michael Arian was a dedicated member of La Mama Experimental Theater Club. He was also the first person to receive an equity card from them in 1971 and continued his association with them for years. In addition to Theater for a New City, Shakespeare in the Park at the Delacourt, Off-Broadway and Regional Theaters. But perhaps his most memorable years acting were spent when he was a part of the touring company of Hare, which took him to Spain, Germany, and the Netherlands. He passed away earlier this week and will be greatly, greatly missed. 
Hair, the American Tribal Love Rock podcast is a production of The Hair Company. Michael Butler, Matthew Herman, Conwell Worthington, John and Jeannie Cutler, with assistance from Nina Macklin-Dayton in The Hair Archive. A very, very special thank you goes to James Rado, Jerome Ragney, and Galt McDermott, whose music was featured in this episode. If you have a story you'd like to share with us, we can be reached by email at podcast at hair-live.com. That's podcast at H-A-I-R hyphen L-I-V-E dot com. We hope you have a wonderful week. And remember, be free, be whoever you are, do whatever you do, just so long as you don't hurt anyone. And remember, I am your friend.